brought to you by the Rugby Outlet Mall, equipping you for freedom and connection through rugby. Find out more at RugbyOutletMall.com. I think the minute I stepped on a practice field for rugby, the calling happened. But an eight-year plan to be on the team, and I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro, right? Like, I like doing something, look, stopping and learning from it. Like, it just looked like it was a heavy hit. It gets up, it's nothing up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And those two Scottish guys, and I said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. Rugby is a sport where that's often coupled with actually having a good time. He looked at me and he says, you guys are awesome. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. This is the podcast where we talk with people about the opportunities they found and received via rugby. I'm telling you, this is some amazing groups of people, and we got another amazing one coming into you today. Koma Gandhi Fishbin. Uh, head coach for All Navy Rugby, uh, board member for the Village Lions, and just an overall dope person and a long veteran in the game uh, here in the U.S. From New York to San Diego and back, like this is she is one of the premier women in rugby right now, uh, and she was such a great, a good friend of mine. So you know, this was an even extra. Uh, kind of podcast, and you guys are going to be able to be entertained by this all the way through. Um, you, I'm telling you, like, ah, it was just a. It, this is a really good conversation. This was a really good conversation. We really got deep into the winds of what it is to be a coach. Uh, we got into it in the administrative stuff when it comes to rugby and what needs to get moved forward to make sure things are going to be able to progress the way they need to within rugby. And of course. Of course, just being able to get the background and understanding of where Coma has been to where she is now and how much that has impacted her rugby view. I hope you guys are ready to get some gems dropped uh, because we got some gems dropping for you in this one today. But before we get to that, definitely want to big, send a big congratulations to one SX10 for winning the World Rugby 10 Series, first one ever. Uh, big shout out to them. That's a team that had my guy Connor Wallace Sims on it, and then dudes like Cecil Cecil Africa, who was one of the reasons why I got into rugby, and uh, another resident dreadhead. And then of course uh, Colin Gijera, who is one of the top Kenyan rugby players, um, well, top Kenyan rugby players. And yo, big ups to that team beating Ohio Aviators twenty one fourteen. Which Ohio Aviators, another one that has a bunch of my guys, namely like Matt Houston, my guy out there, and uh, big. That was a great game. Come from behind, win. Exciting. Yo, it went down on Saturday, man. Saturday was a wild day overall. You know, elections went through, and uh, shout out to HBCU alumni um, Kamala Harris uh, winning for first. Uh, black woman, woman, Asian, uh, in the executive office, uh, for the United States in the presidency. So the national executive office. So, you know, shout out to the HBCU people got to do it for my HBCU rugby classic folk. Um, so yeah, this was, this was a wild Saturday all the way around, man. 
And I like, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's ever a feeling of relief. Like in one hand, like I love that we've had this series of rugby and that is coming. And now we're getting ready to amp up for 2021 rugby year. And I'm going to say rugby year because we've got the Olympics. We got the women's rugby world cup again and we're just going to be hitting through the premier super league mlr comes back like we're coming in hard going into it it's just i don't know it's just exciting man it's just exciting to know what is to come and even for us we got so many things about to come at the end of this week we got a major announcement uh at the middle of this week we got another major announcement so keep your eyes out uh hbcu rugby classic keep your eyes out for rugby outlet mall and speaking of rugby outlet mall uh, definitely go make your way over. Check out our merch and gear over there. With listening to this podcast right now, listening to it right now, you guys are going to get 20% off of any gear that we have resonating inside H, uh, inside the Rugby Outlet Mall. So that's all under Grow Rugby Na- Gift Time Rugby Network and under HBC Rugby Classic and everything in between there. And the promo code that you guys can use is Grow Rugby, G-R-E-A-U-X Rugby, and you guys will get 20% off. And I'm telling you, you come rock the gear. Look, this is the year. We're coming up in the year where you come out with your full rugby pride, all right? You come out, celebrate rugby, come in with the beer mugs, all right? You got your ballers play rugby shirts, come get that. Show them what you're about, all right? When you go to the games, let them know we a baller out here. Yo, if you're not playing rugby, we you're not a baller out here. Or even... Get our classic HBCU Rugby Classics, represent, celebrate. We're going to be doing it big. Yo, it's going to be real, and then you can bring it out to the HBCU Rugby Classic when it comes, and you guys come rock it out with the rest of us, man. But it's going to be good. This is going to be good. And also, look, guys, in the meantime, while you guys are about to go get that, Go check out our Instagram page, Grow Rugby Podcast. Go ahead and like it, share it, and we're going to be trying to update more about what's going to be happening with this podcast moving forward. We're going to keep you guys abreast on what guests we're going to have coming up, and I'm telling you, we got guests. We got some guests. This VIP-ness is very real. Oh, it is very real. So, and and just a continued amount of information and knowledge that we want to be able to press there. And, of course, go ahead over to our YouTube page, uh, youtube.com slash gift time rugby network. We post the videos, the full videos for it, so you guys can get and feel the emotion of the expressions that come along with it. Because this is, it's just, ah, so much just going down, man. I'm, I'm hyped. I don't know why. It's just, I'm hyped. It's a new month. We're in the second week of the new month. We're about to go into Thanksgiving season. It's Christmas season, Black Friday. We got rugby coming back. I mean, COVID is kind of going up, but, you know, we're figuring that out. I, I can't I can't really, you know, take anything away from that. We're, we're figuring that out, you know, and, and the rest of it is just about the realness, you know. And lastly, speaking of realness, yo, go check out our documentary, Singapore to Tokyo, any way we can. You guys... This is 2019 Rugby World Cup. When you want to talk about what's happening in tens, you need to go talk about what's going on in Asia and being able to get an assessment, not even an assessment, get to know what rugby really can do for the community. Not just what we play, not just being able to have the kids, but I'm talking about true cultural change that occurs. And we did it. Oh, we did it with this journey from Singapore to Tokyo, Japan, heading to the 2019 Rugby World Cup, learning about 
all these NGOs, non-governmental organizations that help all these communities through rugby. Don't want to miss it. You guys can check it out at redearthfilms.vhx.tv. That is redearthfilms.vhx.tv. $17, seven episodes, 20 minutes per episode. You're not going to want to put it down one iota. I'm telling you, it, it's, 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 it's just legit. Like, you, you got to get in on this one. So, guys, I hope you guys are ready for another great one. Got, if you guys like this, Go ahead, right after, head over to Apple Podcasts, like, give us a rating, throw up the five stars, the four stars, uh, put a comment, let the people know because it lets us be able to sell this and be able to get it to that so we can get you more stuff and we can even just just go all the way out. Like, I, I, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Anyways, without further ado, guys, check this out. Coma Gandy Fishbin, head rugby coach, my friend. Yo, and it's just an interesting, dope-ass person. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. I got another V-I-P, important P, I guess that's also kind of redundant, guest here, my friend... But also the great Coma Gandhi Fishbin, All Navy Rugby, Village Lions, just a groundbreaker altogether. Coma, I appreciate you coming through. I appreciate you having me. You know, it's it's we it's it's been fun. It's been oh, we've known each other for a while. It's been yes. I think almost six years now, five six years now. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember we we did one interview before, and it was great. And the only thing that sucked about it was that Skype sucked and it recorded none of my <laughs> voice and all of you. <laughs> I didn't realize that. So I basically had these great answers. Say what? It was just me kind of answering questions that a ghost is asking me. Basically, basically. It was just it was just like, yeah. And you know, <laughs> and I was like, I don't remember any of the questions that I asked, but these answers are amazing. And I literally almost thought about trying to like go back in and re-record it and like do another cut piece, but it was just, it just, it just didn't have, it didn't have the same feel, you know? So, uh, we're going to do this again, but now we got more to add into it. And, uh, obviously there is even more story that you've had since, what was that? Three years ago? Mac, wow. like, I don't know. It was three wow. years ago. <laughs> hey, look, the time catch goes, the time catches us, you know, yeah. time just rolls. Mm-hmm. So coma, I'm going to ask, you know, You've you've been in this game for a while, but I want to go through and and start from the beginning. Um, how did you become a part of rugby? Oof! So it was a it was a fall day in 1993. <laughs> um, so I actually started my athletic career in college as a soccer player. Uh, I was playing. <clears throat> I was part of the the, the Harvard women's uh, varsity program for a couple of years, and. A friend of mine was literally on her way to rugby practice, which I didn't know she was on her way to rugby practice. And I said, oh, where are you going? She says, I'm on my way to rugby practice. I said, oh, rugby. And I had heard of that because my dad went, uh, he did his undergrad and some um, post-back work in New Zealand. So he had told me about the game called rugby, but I had never experienced it. So I was intrigued and I went to a practice and 
I pretty much fell in love with it from that day onward and um, wound up leaving the soccer program, joining the rugby program, and that's the love affair that began what feels like a million years ago <laughs> when I had the lower body fat percentage and uh, knees that were original, not sort of uh, post-market. but um, not, not the Darth Vader knees now? <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Hospital for Special Surgery, for all the great work you've done on my right knee. Um, but yeah, that's when it started. And uh, I, I played in college. Then I played after college for a number of different clubs like Beantown RFC out of Boston when I was uh, stationed in Newport, Rhode Island. Then I was with the San Diego Surfers when I was out there, came back to the East Coast with uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, Furies, and then retired, unretired, played my last five years of rugby with New York Rugby Club. Then I really retired and transitioned into coaching. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to coach with New York Rugby Club with their 7s and 15s program, and then moved over to the Village Lions with their men's 7s, and if not for COVID, uh, men's 15s program. And uh, along the way, I was able to play with some really cool people, like um, back when we had ITTs, be able to play uh, on the Southern California side for 7s and 15s, spent 10 years with Atlantis off and on um, doing tours, uh, both here in the States and then overseas. Um, also was lucky enough to be in uh, the U.S. Sevens pool of athletes for a few years uh, back in the early 2000s, I think it was. And um, really fortunate to be able to transition into a coaching role where I have really learned a new perspective of the game. So it's been an amazing experience, I think, as being part of the rugby community, um, being able to coach at the all navy level uh which now has both a men's and a women's team when i was eligible to play they did not have a women's team so it is gratifying to see that armed forces rugby embraces both men and women officially funded and i am always just i feel like the luckiest person in the world to be able to be a coach in the all navy program and um be able to give back both to the branch of service and the sports that i love at the same time so yeah no, I rugby's been awesome Man, I mean, look, and it's been a journey. And look, I always say it, it. The best part about it is being able to understand the history. The second best is being able to experience it, because you've been able to have because of that the the length of your experience. You've been able to see so much. Now, uh, you know, we always talk about transition and 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 how rugby has evolved over time. But can you kind of give an example a little bit? And and even starting because even with <laughs> I, I laugh because I feel like the Harvard people all have the same kind of start, by the way. Like, I talked to Chet Amba about this, and it's always, yeah, I was going to soccer practice, and then there was rugby, and then all of a sudden, I was like, yeah, I like rugby. And I'm like, yo, Harvard soccer, I'm going to need you guys to either, <laughs> you need to either hold your, your athletes down a little bit stronger, or Harvard rugby, yo, you keep poaching. Poach all <laughs> Yeah, the more Chet Ambas we can poach, the better. But don't tell, don't tell the Harvard varsity <laughs> soccer program I said that. The best that from the record. We didn't say that. <laughs> it's nothing. No, no, no. Shh. All yeah. under wraps. Absolutely nobody will know this ever. It's not a public nope. forum whatsoever. Not a public forum. Nope. No. <laughs> no. But, you know, you've, you've had this opportunity to see it. And look. Outside of the factor of obviously there wasn't a whole lot of women's rugby that happened in, in the 90s and such, but even more so, can you kind of describe exactly what the environment was like for women uh, in these early stages? Because I think it's sometimes I, – I don't, I don't think it's ever forgotten that there's still development, but I think it's sometimes forget how 
recent everything is in terms of the development? Well, I would say that there there was, I know that numerically speaking, it's grown significantly among the, the women's population, but there were a lot of pioneers that pre that, that preceded me that paved the way so that we could, you know, at Harvard, at least have a Radcliffe Rugby Football Club as we were known back then. And we have, um, because I'm still connected to uh, that program as the chair of their friends group, it is really interesting to stitch together the history of Radcliffe Rugby and the current uh, incarnation of rugby at Harvard for women, which is varsity, fully funded and fully recognized varsity sport, to connect those decades and just reminisce about some of the things that we experienced. I think that um, I was fortunate to be in a rugby community where there were there were club rugby players that we could look to as role models. There were members of Beantown's team that were part of the 1991 World Cup team. So we had access to excellence. And we, from, you know, from Radcliffe, you stuck around in the Boston area, you just sort of fed into Beantown. And that was my first club rugby experience. And I think what has evolved about the game is there were groups, I would say, there were clubs that, that were very professional, like Beantown RFC was, and still is very well organized. At the time that we joined um, that season, we were national champions. So I experienced a level of rugby that took rugby very seriously. And I know that um, depending upon where you are, you may have access to coaches, you may not. You may have access to facilities, you may not. And I think that with the evolution of and the growth of rugby in the women's community, there's been a recognition and uh, I would say a groundswell of everybody you know, bringing up their level of play and everybody having access to resources to grow their own individual games and be able to participate in bigger rugby communities where they can learn, where they can sort of uh, uh, get access to different bodies of knowledge and also recognize that we don't always have to look to the men for support, that we can grow our own coaches, that we can grow our own support staff. I mean, oddly enough, I went from Beantown women's team to San Diego women's team to Washington, D.C. women's team to New York Rugby Club, which has a men's team and a women's team and a youth team. Until I got to New York, it was the first time I'd ever seen somebody wearing a jacket that looked like mine. That was a dude. Mm. You're and talking about like was, in, in general public standpoint. Well, yeah, because I'd never been part of a women's team that was part of an organization that had men's and women's teams under the same umbrella. Right. So it was interesting for me to just see how a club with multiple teams operated after being with teams that were women run and women led for so long. And what I've seen how the game evolves is I think, I think when I started playing in the, in the mid nineties, there were, I would say men who were supporters and there were men who were detractors. And I can remember some of the sadly hateful things that were said to me when I identified myself as a member of the women's rugby community um, in terms of whether or not I should be playing rugby, whether or not rugby was suitable for me, um, whether or not women, the standard of women's rugby was something that they were interested in. And right. <laughs> what I've seen is a growth of sort of mutual respect for the game, mutual support for the game, and um, a recognition that rugby is for everybody, not just, you know, we talk about different body types, but it's not just 
for men, not just for women, not just for rich people, not just for, and it is for everybody. And right. actually living that through the, the, the ways that clubs operate in their communities, the ways that they give back, the ways that they present themselves. And I think that is uh, a very good thing. I mean, we still have some ways to go with some controversies that have shown up at World Rugby, USA Rugby, with respect to um, women's inclusion in the game, um, especially with the ban that World Rugby wants to uh, wants to uh, put in place against trans women, whereas USA Rugby has articulated that women are women, trans women, cis women, we are women, right. we will play rugby. So we still have a ways to go, but it's definitely it's definitely come a long way since those early days in 1993. Yeah, you and know, actually, I, those earlier days before me. So right. not disrespect my rugby grandmas and mas that that put forth the effort to give me the opportunity to play. Well, even for them, you're talking about a different set of challenges that came along that got stacked on top of a new set of challenges that were that got opened up when you solved one. And, and it, it almost seems, which I think is always natural, is as you solve one set of problems of issues. It, because you solve them or you because you come to some solution with them, it does set open a new box of it simply because of the fact that nuancing becomes much more, um, much, much wider as you get into the depth of it. So like how we're talking about uh, the situation with world rugby and trans. Now we've had trans women playing for years, but I think that there was the issue of how are we dealing with women? And now we're starting to see, like you said, more, uh, intentional inclusion of women into the game in a, a mainstream way uh, in terms of rugby, at least. And now it opens up the next door of, okay, now we're going to deal with the trans women stuff because we've got to find a way to keep narrowing it. And as we even enter into that one, I feel like it's going to end up another set of nuances that come along the way. But I think ultimately we, we should expect that there is solutions and none. Obviously we're seeing that, in, in this new era of, of um, civil, civil rights within the sport. Yeah, and I think part of it is recognizing that when people join your club, people join your team, they're coming with a lived set of experiences. Right. And that, that doesn't stop when they put on their boots for training and then they leave it behind and then they pick it up in the sense that, Yes, when we get to training, it's an environment where we're all focused on learning. We're all focused on preparing for the next competition, sharpening our skills, learning about what we want to do, what our goals are as a team. But we are all a set of our lived experiences. And the only right. way that teams grow stronger is by representing and recognizing and embracing those differences. Because if you have somebody who feels like they're left out in the cold, whether it's because of their socioeconomic status, their religion, their race, their sexual orientation, that person's not going to be able to give 100%. And right. if, you're, if you're in a space where you're not having or creating an environment where everybody can give their 100%, you're never going to be as successful a team as if you do. So it, 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 you know, for when I see certain people say, oh, there's, there's no room for politics and rugby. Let's all just keep it happy. Ha, ha, ha. Well, yeah, there's a reason why we play rugby because we love the sport, but we also recognize that everybody is coming with their lived experiences and recognizing that everyone's lived experience is going to be different and some people are having challenges and some people uh, need a space where they can be their authentic selves only strengthens the team and the club. So I, I'm sure it's, this is an uncomfortable space for some people to recognize that maybe they have their own unconscious biases. We all have unconscious biases. You know, I'm not a big fan of somebody if they tell me they're a Dallas Cowboys fan, but you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll get over it. But um, you know, 
we, you know, know. I know these 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 are hard ones. You're a Giants fan, by the way, though. Ooh, ooh, I can't believe you said that. Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles, please. Oh, so not much better. Right. I forgot. Yeah, no, not much better anyway. So Wait cool, a cool, cool. second. <laughs> Hold on, I can't hear you. The static. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> Fly Eagle. <laughs> Safe fan all day. Beating you guys. That's all that matters to me. <laughs> it's just got all hostile and whatnot. <laughs> no safety no safety we get risque out here <laughs> but no look <laughs> but no i you know it, 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 i agree with you when it comes to being able to be able to check these things but like you said these come in with shared experience with uh everybody comes in with their experiences for you obviously you've been in these situations where you are um Let's let's call it in places where people create more controversy than there is necessary to have. You know, again, black women's rugby player, uh, Navy, all this, whatever the grounds it can be, um, you can find someone who's going to try and be a detractor. For you, where did you find your point where you started to recognize it? Not just necessarily as uh, a the unconscious bias of the people externally from you, but where you had to start learning to be able to catch your own biases that you had throughout the sport and being able to relate that to how you ended up playing and subsequently coaching in it. Well, I'll tell you that I don't think that confronting my unconscious bias probably showed up more as a coach Mm -hmm. than as a player, because quite frankly, I was always such a bundle of nerves that (laughs) um, I was more anxious about my own performance and I wish I could go back to talk to myself back then and just tell myself to just relax and kind of get in the flow and do what you need to do. Because one of the things that I think that has helped me, but one of the things that's also a little difficult is, you know, I I can sometimes be a perfectionist and that sort of, I don't know if you want to call it anxiety, wherever it comes from, drives you, but you can never sort of really step back and smell the roses. And I think that I should have stepped back and smelled the roses a lot more and been more in the moment when I was at some of those camps or at some of those competitions where I could just enjoy the fact that, man, I get to play rugby with all these badass chicks against a bunch of badass chicks in this really cool place and just enjoy the, the competition of that moment. But I think that when I became a coach, I had to also look at my unconscious biases in terms of how I was coached, what mm-hmm. I was used to. Is that the right way to go about things in this game versus how I might have been coached X number of years ago? Um, when I look at people, am I evaluating them based upon my perception of what their ability is? Or am I giving them an opportunity to show me what type of rugby player they are? Do I bias towards people who are vocal, people who are too quiet? Or is there such a thing as too quiet? Maybe they're quiet when they're in other activities, but on the field they have a dominance and a command that kind of belies the fact that they might not be the chattiest person at team dinner. So a lot of those unconscious biases, I really had to learn the hard way to dismantle them. And there's also, you know, just because somebody did well in one circumstance doesn't mean they'll do well in another circumstance. So really thinking about those issues and really trying to do my best to use as objective of a criteria as I can so that I'm trying to fairly evaluate, look at, analyze things with a lens that recognizes that I might have an unconscious bias, but Mm -hmm. then what do I do with it? And I think the worst thing that we can do is say, 
oh, I'm not, I don't have any unconscious bias. No, I that's impossible. Right. We all do. And again, maybe it's not a bias against, it could be a bias for. Maybe somebody comes to my club from insert level club. Oh, they must be really good. Oh, they graduated from such and such a program. Oh, they must be really great. Well, they could be really great or they could be really not. So you have to really, I think, work on looking at each athlete as an individual and seeing what their individual strengths and weaknesses are. And then how do you make all the strengths and weaknesses sort of come together in a way that creates a better sum of the parts. But um, I think a lot of it for me was when I became a coach and stepped back from playing and could divorce myself from my playing persona, which is hard when you're transitioning into coaching. It's very hard to right. divorce yourself to who you were as a player. Pardon? I said that's what you end up mirroring in into your coaching initially because that's that's what you know at first and how you per- right. perceive the game. Right. Or if you're in a situation where, let's say you start coaching and you have you know drills that you might have run. Are those the right drills to run? Why are you running those drills? What are the objective, what's the objective of those drills? How do you go about the practice planning process? What type of, you know, what, what principle play are, are you emphasizing and what, how do all those things roll up? And I think until I sort of decomposed coaching into those parts and found good mentors and people that I could bounce things off of, because I think when you're a coach and you were a player, you feel a bit exposed in that you might knock something on as a player. Oh, hard luck. You've got, you know, X number more minutes to sort of, get things back. But I think that as a coach, one of the most valuable things that I, that, that, uh, that was given to me as sort of a way of thinking, I was at Chula Vista, uh, I was out there, I was shadowing at the U.S. Women's Sevens Camp, and I had an opportunity to sit and chat with, with Rob Kane, the U.S. 15s coach. And I was talking to him about my approach to the All-Navy Camp and kind of what I was trying to do, how many days I had to do it. And I was kind of beating myself up over things that in retrospect, I probably could have done better. And he looks at me and says, Coaches make mistakes. And I never really sat there and thought about that, that I didn't give myself space to make mistakes. Or if I did, I probably spent too much time beating myself up over the mistake and learning from it and moving forward. And I think that was characteristic of myself as a player too. So if I would give myself some advice, my 25, 30, 35-year-old self, um, I would have given myself the latitude to screw up and learn from it rather than being consumed by the fact that I had screwed up. So I think that that helped me be a little bit less hard on myself and find ways to experiment in ways that hopefully made the teams that I coach better and be a little bit vulnerable to my players to say, I'm not going to get it right, but I'm going to do my best to get it better. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I feel like even in life, this is one of those things that we come to learn as going from kids to adults. And I I say for most kids, uh, I'll say because not not everyone, but there's almost that revelation whenever you find out that your parents are also have been trying to just figure it out along the way. And you think all this time you're going to get to that age and it's all going to make sense. And I I know this is a very cliche thought, but it really hits home where it just you think you're going to get it and the world makes sense in this way and then you get there and you're like yo wait what's up like i this is going to be complete dissection but it's funny i started watching this show one-on-one that's on netflix right and i remember when this show came on back in 2001 and i'm 14 15 at the time and you're watching and it feels like it's this dynamic it's kid and this adult and he's trying to figure it out and in my mind i'm like oh man i can see such a difference right i watched it now here on netflix and I'm like, wait, this dude is playing as a 33, 34-year-old. 
I'm like, this man is acting way. I'm like, I see, I know what this is at this age. This does not make sense. These key points that they're saying does not make sense anymore. Like, they're not this wise. There's no wise older dad. Like, he's 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 right. And it opening to that just lets you go back and see how uh I don't want to use the word manipulated, but how uh misfigured the perception of the change. And I assume the same thing comes when you come as a player. You're looking at your coach as initially as an authority figure who has some level of get regardless, even if you think like they might not be perfect, but there's something that they have in, uh, in, you know, set for themselves, you know, and, and, and breaking through that for you, like as you entered into the coaching realm initially, um, what was your thoughts on coaching as you be, transition from player into actual coach? I think that I had been in a lot of programs that were coach-centric. And I think that I carried that bias into my initial early stages of coaching. And I think that was a mistake because there are ways of being able to solicit and use feedback from your players that are important. And I don't know that I made enough space for that when I started. And I think it's also because when I left playing and went into coaching, I didn't naturally go into a coach education program that would have helped me understand some of those concepts and get comfortable with some of those concepts with, you know, how do you get feedback from players? How do you engage players? How do you make space for them to be able to identify the specific, let's say, elements that you're trying to emphasize? And, you know, some of those things like, just something as simple as understanding when to use a whole part whole versus a part part whole and the importance of planning, the importance of not trying to do too much in a short amount of time. And I think that early coaches, not just me, they have all these ideas and you never realize how long it's going to take to execute an idea where you'll plan this practice where everything goes perfectly and the cones magically move into their new spots and the transitions always take a certain amount of time. And then you put it into practice and you get like 60% of the stuff you want to get done, done. Right. And recognizing that if you only got to have, have 90 minutes or with, with your athletes and all of them are coming probably from school or from jobs from this and from that, that you kind of have to leave room for a little bit of uncertainty. And you also have to leave room for engagement. And it's better to get a few things done very well than a whole bunch of things done or a whole bunch, attempt a whole bunch of things and only get a fraction of those done. So I, I think that for me, it would have really been great to have some sort of, uh, I mean, I did have people I could reach out to, but I think there's a certain amount of, when you're moving into coaching, you're not going to get everything right. Right. And it's okay. And the best thing you can do is find somebody that you can bounce things off of so that, again, you may not get it right, but you're going to get better every time. Right. No, I think that's real. Um, you know, so whenever you're doing your planning for it now, is it when you're setting up your 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 practice plan and even for your game plan, do you now look at it as, all right, there are these key points that I want to hit? Or do you kind of say, all right, ev- this is everything I want to get out of a practice, um, but I understand I'm not going to get everything uh, and just hope for the best with it. Like, how, how do you go approach with your 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 planning execution? Your planning well, style. Yeah, I, I've I've recognized that there's there's maybe one let's say one principle of play that I want to I want to emphasize, and 
how do I build, how do I scaffold a practice plan both to evidence that's the thing that we're going to be working on, break that thing down into parts, and then put it back together like a whole part, whole strategy. But I also leave room for, let's say, modifications, where let's say we're working on something and it's going really well. What are the things that I can complicate to help people accelerate their decision-making or recognition about how time and space can change, how rules can change, and how people can react to those? So mm -hmm. it's more like variations on a theme where perhaps there's something that I'd like to get done, but there's different ways I can make variations to it so that the learning objective is still the learning objective, but we're flexing it in different dimensions so that people don't get bored, nor do they feel like they sort of, oh yeah, well, I've already mastered that. Well, let's see how, what, what are the other elements that we can perfect? So for me, it's really going into it with the idea sort of the basic concepts that we wanna cover, what are the things that are gonna reinforce those basic concepts, and then what are the things that I can vary or throttle back? It could be a drill is too complicated. What elements can I remove and then put back so that people's confidence doesn't get sort of, you know, destroyed through it. because whatever it is, is a little bit too far. And there's sometimes some drills will work with some groups of people and then with others, they just suck. And you have to be willing to say, you know what? I think I'm going to take that out of the repertoire <laughs> because for whatever reason, it might've worked with this group of people, but it's not working with that group of people. So what are the objectives that I want to achieve that aren't being addressed by this activity and I can replace it with another activity so we still get the learning done, but we just use a different vehicle to get there. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And again, it, it goes back to making sure, understanding who you're dealing with in terms of your team and then being able to just prioritize, right? Right, and I think also just recognizing that <clears throat> yes, there are gonna be places where you're gonna look for drills, but you're not beholden to that drill if you really understand the why, what's the objective? What is this drill trying to teach? What is this activity trying to teach? You can go modify it. And I think for me, I kind of got locked into that because you know, there's certain things, certain activities that were almost, okay, I know this drill like the back of my hand, but why am I doing it? Right. I'm doing it because somebody taught me and that's how I used to run it. But is that still, is that still valid? And is it teaching the outcome that I, I, I want for my athletes? And really just being able to be creative with that and not beholden to a piece of paper that I pulled off of a website or a video that I looked at. It's all right, I understand what this is getting at. So how do I modify this to be able to change the space, change time, change whatever it is to be able to make athletes better decision makers. And I think one of the things that I know that I did not benefit from was early in my career, perhaps coaches that didn't teach decision making at say the club level, right. coaches who tested your ability to execute a play. Why are we using this? What did you see that you decided you wanted to call this versus that? What space are you trying to create and preserve? Like those types of questions, I don't think that early in my career, not in college, because I had excellent coaches in college, but I think that depending upon where you wound up, you were either presented with those opportunities to develop that recognition decision-making or you were rewarded for executing something rather than understanding the why behind what you're executing. And mm -hmm. I think that now with the modern game really emphasizing, not just let's say, let's take core skills out of it. Like catch, pass, tackle, got to, you know, those are table stakes, mm -hmm. but creating better decision-makers, 
creating people who can see something, figure out what the best execution, what, what, what's the best way of maximizing success, and then being able to create that, that environment for success, that separates those players that will move on and who can handle different situations mm-hmm. so that when they come up against a strong side or they come up against someone that is evenly matched, they're not, yeah, they're actually processing what they're seeing versus, well, coach told me to run this in this part of the field. No, here's your toolkit. And we will ex- we'll figure out when's the best time to apply these tools. But as a coach, I can't plan for every eventuality. I can't plan for every 78th minute. I can't plan for every 49th minute. Right. I think it's about here are tools. Now go out and use them. And then we'll analyze how well we use them, what the different decisions we could have made. And then we'll keep refining that over time. But I think that that is something that is unfortunately not as well understood at the club level where coaches can feel free to do that with their players mm-hmm. and feel empowered to do that. And I think that would be one thing as the evolution of the game moves forward that coaches have to feel comfortable letting their, their athletes take chances and learn from those chances. Right. I find it interesting, and even as you break it down, I always wonder because, you know, when you talk about, like, how coaches are able to um, – that expecting coaches, especially at the club level, to be able to trust and, and to be able to have that uh, competency to, under, to, to be willing to allow that to happen, I think a lot of that goes back to the idea of coaching, especially in the States, being overall very voluntary, you know? <clears throat> So a lot of people depend on their prioritization of time on how to handle it. For you, obviously, coaching isn't your primary work. What you do with the Navy has been primary and, and, and other stuff, correct? Um, well, right. I, I Because um, I just, I'm no longer in the Naval Reserves. I have um, had a sort of civilian job for quite some time. Sorry. I just happen to be lucky enough to work in educational technology now where some of these concepts I'm actually now sort of reinforcing in a professional sense. But to your point, when you're a club coach and a coach leaves, then you don't have the luxury of being able to look all over the world to find a new coach. And then how do you support that coach with resources so that they feel empowered to go out there and do the best that they can? Because every coach wants to do the best that they can for their athletes, really. I mean, I hope so. But are we equipping them with the resources to do it and to actually teach and coach the way that the game is now played versus the way the game might have been played when they were in their heyday. Right. And I was going to say, like, for you, what has been some of the things that you've been able to do to be able to um, continue to study your craft and be able to develop it? Because obviously what you do on the field is one, but that's typically going to be the execution, whether it's on practice field, on the practice pitch, or in, uh, uh, on the game pitch. But for you, behind the scenes, how much do you – what do you do or how much time do you take – to uh, read over concepts or check out concepts or, or seeing game tape or anything like that to be able to add inside your uh, structure a little bit more? I would say for me, I mean, I think I've always been a student of the game. So um, watching games at various levels, whether it's Pro 14, MLR, WPL, um, it's important to just look at different matches and just be able to understand why did that happen or yeah. what was the reason why that happened. And if it was a successful thing, the outcome, great. If it was not successful, then what could have been done differently? I think it's incredibly important to 
find resources you can trust and people that you can, and I you know, hate to say it, it probably sounds like a lot of self-help stuff, but people with whom you can be vulnerable and admit when you messed up or admit that you're having problems with the concept or, hey, I cannot figure out how to plan this practice. Do you have any resources for me? Or I was working on this drill and it just flopped. So can you help me figure out what I might have done wrong? Um, have somebody come out and observe you. I mean, one of the great things that I really enjoyed as part of my rugby uh, education was working on my level 300 with people that I really respected. Like I got to, you know, I knew Nancy Fitz as a player, but I love her as a coach and being able to talk through certain things about something as simple as how much talking versus how much doing. And as a coach, sometimes you don't realize that words are falling out of your mouth and your athletes are getting cold. So we need to make sure that they stay physically engaged and thinking about the ratio of your talking to the doing is something that's very basic, but right. probably something that when you're starting out as a coach, you don't really recognize because you know what it feels like to stand in a circle like I'm cramping up. I just want to go out and do my next drill. I'm thirsty. Why is the coach talking so long? Then you flip the script and you're the coach and you're like, I really want to get this concept out. I want to explain it to the greatest detail <laughs> and I'm going to finish my... And all of a sudden, you've got people who are like, oh, my goodness, I feel my hamstrings. They're trying to crawl into my lower back. So it's it's one of those things where I think as a new coach, you just have to accept the fact, like, you're not you're not going to be perfect. No coach is perfect. There, it's just impossible. I mean, there's some that are close, like, you know, Razzy Erasmus in the last World Cup. But, you know, it's like you have to – I mean, that was pretty awesome. But, like, you have to recognize that you're going to need resources. You're going to need help. You're mm -hmm. going to need to reach out and and find opportunities to work with people who will make you better, to uh, ask for help when you need it, and not to be bashful because the best coaches want to give back. And you know, what we can maybe talk about a little bit later, but I mean, what, what I had the opportunity to spend two weeks in Ireland right. with Connacht Rugby. Oh, we're going to talk about that. I'm, oh, my goodness. Send the build-up. All oh, right, we'll send the okay. build-up. So, okay, all right. But <laughs> you've got to find people that you trust and people that will help you along the way and people right. that um, are focused on helping you grow. So uh, I had the opportunity to speak with Kamani Davis. Like, you know, obviously, Kamani with Ruth yes. Rugby and everything like yes. that. It's the guy. Um, and we had a great uh, uh, conversation when it came to the usage of community and how important and oh, a little bit how a bit, a bit missing it has been within the uh, the rugby sphere um, for you as a coach. Part of obviously what you do on on the pitch it matters, but how has it been in trying to be able to develop culture for your teams so that it doesn't just resonate what they do on field, but as I had a conversation I had with Farah. The identity of the 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 identity of the players, the identity of the team, placates into that, and how it affects off field. Yeah, I, I think that it's got to be deliberate. It, it, it's something that, especially now, it's not something that you know, I, I think cultural cultural issues have been around since the first two people got together and threw around a rugby ball because people make decisions. I will go to this club versus that club. Why? Well, I fit better here than I do there, or I feel like I am interested in playing. Um, competitive rugby and that's their culture this group is I enjoy social rugby that's their culture uh, things like that but then it gets a little bit deeper is this a is this a club where I feel like I'm being treated as an individual that I'm recognized for 
my whole self? Is it someplace where I feel comfortable becoming close to other members of the club and talking to them about things that are bothering me or the reason why I might be distracted at practice or things like that? And I think now, especially where some of those conversations that might have happened privately over a beer post-match or in small sub-communities within a larger team, these are things that are for at the forefront and happen, I would say, for people who are not members of, um, you know, if, if you're not a member of the majority, then you always recognize that you have a slightly different space that you're operating in. But I think the change in administration has really brought to light some of those fissures that maybe have been hidden, and now they're there in the open, and they're needing to be discussed. And especially in a... a a rugby club where people volunteer to spend their time. I mean, granted, we pay dues and whatnot to keep the lights on, the pitches rented, and things like that. But at the end of the day, we're there because we love the sport. We want to spend time with people who love the sport. But if the person that loves the sport does not recognize your humanity or does not recognize the differences that you come to the table with as strengths that need to be incorporated into the fabric of the team as a whole, then that's not going to be a place that will survive over the long term because people will eventually vote with their feet and find another club that will recognize who they are instead of perhaps valuing the fact that they're the leading try scorer or the fact that they're the best prop or the fact that they're an amazing scrum half. That scrum half is from a community that prop is part of an ethnic group that, you know, leading try scorer is a whole human being. And I think the more that we recognize that, the stronger our clubs will be. And especially with the national dialogue uh, shifting towards a more, I'd say, open and painful discussion about some of these issues and inequities that have been affecting different communities. Um, I think the more that we can make rugby a place that is inclusive, the more we will get a community sense within those rugby clubs and make people feel welcome no matter where they are on their life journeys. No, I, I can feel that. Um, but you know, again, like, like you said, it, it, it does depend on being able to recognize that. But I also wonder if there is already uh, an intentional act of what you want to have come out. So like, for example, for, for, for your team, for whether it is with the, the all Navy team, whether it is with roots or what, whoever you coach, like what are the, the elements of the players that you like to make sure you have uh, athleticism aside, you know, what's the characteristics that you like to have? Um, like, let me use an example for myself. If I, I were to select a team uh, to be with, for me, it's, I do want a team that is um, uh, competitively aggressive um, but obviously back end fun, very basic in that instance. But then when it goes from there, it's, I do want a team that is capable of understanding that has multiple, has different cultural people that are on it, uh, just simply to be able to have a perspective while also being willing to, uh, you know, you know, have the right loud people. Like I need loud people, a team that's too quiet or that is, uh, you know, too kind or too, proper might be maybe the right word like they scare me to death i i can't work with a a i can't work with an overly kind team like i need a little bit of asshole inside that with a touch bit of asshole with a heart of gold kind of thing um and, and work within that but obviously that's not the same for everybody because some people need 
uh, a different feel with it, a, a different respectability that goes along with it. So for you, you know, as you, you put together your teams, like what is it that you kind of look for in your pieces that help you be able to asphyxiate a culture that doesn't keep a lot of running feet away? Well, I think some of it just depends on how much how much time I have with them. Because with all Navy, right now I only get a couple of weeks a year, and a lot of the stuff that we try to do is outside of that um, that that camp and tournament uh, construct. So right. I only get a very fixed amount of time. I think that culture is something that happens over time, where I as a coach can't parachute in and dictate it. That is something that the club has to has to sort of buy into. And there's a culture that I can facilitate by my expectations, right? That right. are you coming to training? Are you teach? Are you treating your 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 peers with respect? Um, that means that you know if uh, if we're on an overnight trip, are you that guy that's on the cell phone talking to your girlfriend at two o'clock in the morning, or are you going to bed and waking up early because we want to make sure that we're well prepared for the game that we have um, the next day? Um, are you the type of person that you know? Let's say you're having problems paying paying your dues. Then is that something that you know? I see you at the pub uh, drinking away what could be your dues money, or are you coming to practice and giving up ten dollars, twenty dollars, or maybe we can get somebody, an old boy or girl, to help you out? Are you the type of person that actually wants to learn and wants to watch video and wants to discuss things, or are you the type of person that feels like, nah, I'm good. You know, I I I have these one or two tricks up my sleeve, and that means that that I'm you know okay. So. I think for me, it's a sense of shared responsibility. I think it's a sense of sort of putting in the hard yards and also recognizing that it's not just about you. It's about how do you uplift your teammates. So the other piece of the culture are things that really have to be enforced by the captain and the team. That are you putting a culture in place that um, you know people are on time or are they always late? Uh, are you putting in a culture where are you hustling to pick up cones because you want to help out people or you just leave them and somebody else gets to take you up? Are you the type of person that makes sure they bring a jug of water for your friend in case somebody drops it off? Or are you always coming with your water bottle asking for stuff? So I think those are some of the things that, quite frankly, the team has to kind of enforce, like standards of behavior and levels of conduct. I can obviously have my own ideas of what I would like to see in a team, but if the team and the coach or team leadership of the coach are not on the same wavelength, then that's a recipe for disaster right. because I can no more impose myself than, uh, you know, and create something that's not something that is ready to be embraced and sort of carried by the club as their culture, then they would be able to come in and tell me, Oh coach, it's, it's not so bad. If nobody shows up on Tuesday or Thursday, we just want to play on Saturday. Maybe there are teams like that, but that's not my culture. So right. it's got to be a two-way street. It's got to be communication. Otherwise, you've got a gap in expectations, and then bad things happen in terms of misunderstandings and you know, goals that just don't get met. No, that makes perfect sense, um, and 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 I like that. And because again, I know a lot of people would start to try and get it confused and be like, "Look, we just have to have this narrow brush." Especially if you're you're become very unsure about what you want or. Uh, about making things difficult for another, people can find themselves actually narrowing themselves out of a culture in the attempt to try and narrow in what they want to be able to get from it. But I like the way that you put it, where it's like you, you at least give expectations, but you give it room to be able to, uh, for people to be able to fill in the blanks as they need be. And obviously, like you said, over the period of time, it establishes itself. Yeah. 
But you also have to involve club leaders. You have to involve people in that because if you walk in and like, this is the way it's going to be and this is how it's going to happen and this, this, and this, then you're kind of not respecting the leadership that was there. You're never going to get the type of feedback to make the team better if you don't have those open lines of communication. Because at some point you might have a situation where it's, hey, coach, so-and-so feels like you're really crapping on them and they're having a hard time. And it could be, oh, you had no idea you were doing that. And being able to meet that player where they are, maybe they're having a rough time at work. Maybe there's something happening in their family. Maybe there's some other non-rugby related issue why they're not present. And you got to figure out that, figure that out. But if you don't have that two-way communication, you'll never know. That player would co- go off feeling isolated. I, mean, I, I even had a situation when I was coaching the USA All-Stars um, where a player came to me and felt like they were being pigeonholed and um, because of the position that I was playing this athlete in. And I kind of explained to it, well, that was not my intention. So, you know, I apologize for making that person feel that way and explain where I was coming from in terms of the positional needs, the things that I wanted to see and sort of where I would like to see that person perform over the weekend. And I think we got to a better place, but had I not been able to get that feedback, then that person would have walked away from that experience feeling like they didn't get out of it what they wanted to put into it. No, I, 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 that makes perfect. I like that. I like that a lot. And, you know, look, you know, one thing I always like to mention and, and it kind of adds into it is, is about stylization and obviously the stylization of how you go about the games, whether it's, uh, again, on field or off field. Um, one thing that's always gets under gets uh, I always like to talk about is whenever you're establishing this uh, style of rugby that is resonant for people in the state. Um, but the fact that we still are trying to utilize and probably still learn how to make sure we're properly skillfully learning the game. You obviously had the opportunity to go to Ireland and, and deal with Connick. See, see how I brought it up? I told you, building up. <laughs> and so, you know, you had the opportunity of going to Connick and learning, uh, learning under them for two weeks. For you, obviously, you've had this breadth of experience leading into it between player and coaching. And it wasn't like you didn't know coaching, but ending up over there, you know, what was, what was the motivation that you had initially to be able to go do this program? Well, part of it was, I always want to get the best resources that I can for the teams that I'm coaching and give myself a continuum of learning so that I'm always perfecting. I'm always driving. I'm always trying to be the best coach that I can be. Mm-hmm. And um, it was set up through our director of rugby at, at of the Village Lions, um, Dr. John Greeley, who was able to establish relationships there. And um, I, I sent them my rugby resume and they welcomed me there for two weeks. So off I went to Ireland and um, from the day that I set foot in the sports ground at Connacht, it was like someone had just taken the prescription of my rugby glasses <laughs> and just changed it. So it's like I could see rugby, but coming back from Connacht, I could see it more clearly. That's yeah. the best way that I can explain it. And the fact that it, everything was an open book in terms of uh, being able to see the academy, have access to and talk to the coaches, of the academy about how do they train the next group of athletes that will be stepping into the shoes to represent Connacht at the senior level. And then many of those, actually six that are in the current Connacht squad, 
have now been selected to represent Ireland. So I got to see up close how internationals are being trained at that level that will now slot in as you know one starter and five reserves for Ireland. So the continuum that I was able to see went out into the community to see how do they how do they spread the gospel of rugby to the minis, to the little ones, where the only goal is here's a rugby ball, have fun, and associate rugby with fun. We're not talking about teaching you tactics. We're not going to teach a seven-year-old the difference between a one-three-three-one and a two-four-two. We're we're going to give that ball to that child. And that child's going to love rugby and enjoy it and feel an affinity towards the sport. And how there's a continuum where you could theoretically look at a kid and always give them a pathway that can lead them to Connacht. Right. And the fact that it is so unified and clear and transparent, because I spent one week with the academy and then another week with the professional team. And then the day that the professional team was off during the week, I was out with the community um, you know, folks with them looking at how they teach their 12, their 13, their 15, their 16-year-olds, how they help coaches, how they actually have somebody there mentoring coaches and not stepping in to say, oh, that's not how you do it, but right. giving them gentle feedback so that they've gained the confidence to become better coaches. But let me tell you, we were like, it was raining sideways. They didn't tell me that it rained all the time in Ireland. I should have brought everything waterproof that I had, but it was raining sideways. And we're See, out this there. This happened when you're in New York too long. See, if you'd been in Louisiana, you would know, like, just get ready for these hurricane-like seasons all the time. Just always in the back of your mind. May I tell you, in one day, I saw sunshine, rain, snow, and, like, gale force winds in one day in Ireland. One day. All four seasons. Oh. Look, they, they said, we're going to make sure you have the full experience, all right? You I get it see. all year round in two oh, weeks. Yes, 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 over the course of several hours. But <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? But the thing is, it was just being able to see that continuum of development, how everybody works together, and, and, and more importantly, how there's mutual respect across the aspects of the game. So you have the professional staff, you have the academy staff, you have the club and community staff. You have all the other support staff that vary that various aspects of the game. You have the women's team, women's conduct team. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to see them play, but I mean, badasses. And I was able to see sort of the development program that they have for people and clubs in the region where they send their best women so that they are being trained and coached by conduct staff and what they're working on with them. But it was a fun, t- I mean, the atmosphere of mutual respect and recognition was amazing to see. And just, I felt so welcome into their team, into their group. I mean, I'm in the coach's box watching Cardiff versus Connacht. Like, how much better can it get? <laughs> and, you know, and, and now I feel like the man behind the curtain because I can see all the interactions. I can hear what they're working on, the use of technology, how they communicate things to the team in a short amount of time during halftime. So they identify the specific objectives, show them cutting tape live. Like, I mean, performance analysis. I spent a lot of time with the performance and um, analyst who basically helped me clean up my horrible uh, sports code habits. So, <laughs> but it was, it was amazing. It was just amazing to be able to sit and talk about things and see things and just experience it, just walking around lineouts and how they, the devil is in the details. Like, yeah. One of the things that I think is really missed here is the amount of detail that separates the excellent academy player from the senior player. 
It is relentless dedication to getting the little things right over and over and over again. I mean, something as elemental as watching a scrum that's being shot from the left, the side, the top, merging all those angles and looking at everything from hips, shoulders, body position, leg placement, arm placement, finds, all of that stuff, but being relentless about that detail, relentless about repetition. I mean, that's why it looks so easy at the international level because of all of that work that they put in along the way to get those little things right. Mm -hmm. And it's that getting those little things right and the emphasis on those details that makes the difference. And it was really probably the best two weeks of rugby that I've spent in, in my life being immersed in that type of environment where not only was I welcomed and sort of given the opportunity to ask as many questions, see as many things, um, talking about strength and conditioning, talking about nutrition, talking about game preparation, uh, set piece management, uh, you know, uh, you know, backline um, activities and just all of those things. I mean, I, I, <laughs> bashful me wind up being able to do some simple indoor ball drills with <laughs> members of, of, of the Connacht senior squad. So here I am, these large people, and me, and I'm learning by doing, and I'm being incorporated into it. So, right. you know, I will always be in, just forever indebted to the to the Connacht organization for the time that I spent with them. I am, will be a Connacht fan for life. I will find a small drafty castle in the west of Ireland when I'm old and gray, get some goats out there. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. But... Um, it was just an amazing experience to see rugby at that level and be able to talk to people with the depth and breadth of experience that they had. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Connacht fan for life. No, I think that's that's really awesome. And uh, to be able to get that experience, obviously, was not just game changing, but slightly life changing, apparently, to be like, yo, we're going castle hunting now. All right. <laughs> but uh, to, to say the least, you know, what taking in all that information and you're able to see all that stuff. And like you said, you're able to see the game better. Now, what were things that you felt like you can implement? Because I feel like implement into your coaching uh, immediately, because I feel like a lot of those things are, as we said, with culture, things that acquire over time and being able to press them. But for you, as you immediately are able to say, okay, I'm ta I've taken this information. How do I transition this back out into my real life stuff, into my actual coaching time? What are some of the things that you felt that you've been able to implement immediately into your philosophy or even and, and subsequently even adjust your philosophy? Well, ooh, that's a smile. <laughs> smile like, ooh, I got some info. <laughs> well, the problem is the world ended as, as I came home. <laughs> so here I am with this brain full of knowledge and all these like i'm gonna go talk to the youth people about this but i'm gonna talk to these people about that and then kobe's just like no actually you're not going to do any of those things you're gonna sit in your house with a mask on so i have unfortunately been stuck because uh i got home I think just after Valentine's Day. So Ooh. good to have a very understanding husband. <laughs> but like, oh my God, Valentine's Day. I'm in Ireland. Um, but uh, shortly after that was when everything started happening. And then uh, all of a sudden it was, okay, you're not going to work anymore. Oh, okay. Mm. We're not. Oh, um, we're going to hunker down in here because the apex is about to hit. So 
the things that I hope to apply implement right. um, have to do with just focusing on the fundamentals and not being compromising about those that and, and this is something that I'm not look I am guilty of it myself I am guilty of you know thinking too far ahead in terms of not focusing on the fact that hey the catch pass is an elemental part of rugby and right. making sure that you work on your catch pass and obviously that's something that when I you know I always when I went out to spend time at the sevens camp with Mike Friday a few years ago one of the things I brought back, I said, if the USA Sevens team can spend every practice working on their catch pass, you can spend time every practice working right. on their catch pass. Because these are folks that are playing for all, of, all the stakes, right? They're in the HBC, HSBC Seven series. They're gunning for Olympic birth. They're doing all this stuff. And they're working on those things. You need to work on those things. And I think one of the things that I definitely brought back was really the sort of singularity of purpose that, there are things that are uncompromising that you need to be able to master at every level of the game. And they don't change, but the level of mastery will change, the expectation will change as you become more senior, as you accelerate your journey from, let's say, being in the, you know, let's say a broader pool to being part of an academy to actually gunning for a spot on that senior roster. And I think that we get caught up in trying to emulate things that we see without mm -hmm. recognizing that the reason why that looks so easy is because they spend so much time on the fundamentals and understanding that, you know, a lot of us coming, come to rugby late relatively. Right. Places where kids are playing rugby at five, six, seven years old means that they have a familiarity with this oval shaped ball far earlier than something like me who came to it at 19. Right. So in terms of my training age, I'm already starting out in a much, a 19 year old, here picking up the rugby ball for the first time is not a 19 year old in Ireland picking up the rugby ball because that 19 year old has probably been in and around the sport and playing it since they were five, six, seven, eight years old. Right. So recognizing that for us that, Hey, it's all well and good that we have this brilliant, all these lovely backline plays that do all kinds of different things and all these forward plays that do these different things, but you have to focus on the fundamentals and you have to get those right. And Again, you, you're never going to have a perfect game. There's never going to be a game. There's never a knock. There's never not a penalty. I mean, that would be horribly boring. But really recognizing that all those issues, all those things that you should be working on, no matter how big you get, no matter how far along you get, there's fundamentals that you have to master, and you have to keep on trying to master them. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the fundamental elements. I mean, when you walk around the, the Connacht you know, compound, there are just these phrases that, that just focus on sort of the pride of being part of the organization, the work effort, um, just you know, putting in the hard yards to be the best player that, that, they, that they can be. And I think that for us, from whatever club level, from whatever collegiate level, the fundamentals, you can't escape them. You, you can't dress them up in plays, you can't dress them up in tricks. Like you have to focus on those fundamentals and the mm -hmm. expectations for your execution of those fundamentals should change as you get more senior, get more experience, but you can't abandon them. No, I think that 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 is very very accurate. Um, and you can and you know it kind of leads to the to, to what I was asking about even before. On top of that, is establishing style because you can't establish a style unless you have your fundamentals set for you. Mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, 
we still see stylization. So, you know, even with those fundamentals, you know, we see a difference between Northern Hemisphere rugby and Southern Hemisphere rugby, difference between Ireland versus uh, England in their style of play. When you're watching a team like Connick, like, were you seeing, how are you seeing those fundamentals essentially get adjusted into a type of play um, function, a type of play pattern style? Well, I think part of it also comes down to knowing your roster and knowing your athletes and what are their individual. Everyone's going to have superpowers and everyone's going to have work-ons. And being able to leverage those superpowers within a, within a construct that basically assumes at table stakes, everyone's going to be at a certain level with right. those fundamentals. So the speed that they were able to sort of um, move the ball is, is faster, obviously, than what you would see perhaps in a U.S. domestic competition because they are used to a certain level, a certain cadence of play. So, mm-hmm. I mean, a, a few weeks ago, I was looking at the um, Connacht Eagles, which is their sort of academy tied against, I think it was Munster A, and um, how they, ad- and I would say how they adapt um, their own style really comes down to, in my opinion, knowing the strengths and weaknesses of their players, establishing that fundamental level, but saying, we're going to be the type of, of team that's going to put people on their heels. So we're not going to spend a lot of time, let's say, um, we're going to try and make sure that we, let's say, move their forwards around as much as possible. We're going to run a pattern that emphasizes, you know, a one three three one type of, of um, you know, offensive strategy in open play so that we feel comfortable that we're able to create those opportunities and understanding why you're using a one three three one. And I think that for folks who are looking to emulate styles of play, first you have to make sure that you've got the fundamental solid. Second, you have to understand why you're applying something. And then third, you have to understand once you created that space, how to get the ball into it as fast as possible. Right. And being able to just overhear those discussions about kind of why they're selecting a particular type of play, what type of back moves they're using, what type of strengths that they might have in their centers. Because um, I don't know if you spend a lot of time watching Ireland, but you know, uh, Connacht has a center who is basically like a freight train, and right. his name is Bundiaki. And when he gets the ball, he is a crashing center. He has got a lot of other wonderful qualities, but you know when he gets the, he, I mean, he's the battering ram. He's a yes, and you know you're gonna you're gonna get past that game line. It's gonna take multiple people to get him down, which obviously means you're creating space somewhere else. Right. And understanding if you have a battering ram type of of center, maybe that's something that you can do. But is that person also capable of retaining possession when they get into contact such that you can take advantage of the space that's being created? Or is that a fundamental that needs to be worked on? Because if we're using an offensive strategy and we're expecting a lot of contact, are we able to preserve possession in contact? And if we can't, why? And if we can't, then what are the things that we can do in training to emphasize those individual skills to maximize our retention of ball in contact if that's the type of style that we're going to play? So... Those are some of the things that obviously at that level, it's reinforced, it's expected. The more senior you get, the more you're expected to have those skills and be able to deploy them. Mm. But once you're able to deploy them, then it gives you a lot of choices as to how you use the individual strengths of your athletes to create those opportunities. And again, I think that we sometimes get a little lost in the fact that you, you can watch a, a Crusaders match and say, oh my God, that's beautiful. Or you can watch another team execute a two four two. But if you don't understand the why behind it and you don't have the fundamental elements to be able to do that, 
then you're not going to be able to play multi-phase ball because you haven't worked on the element of preserving that ball in contact and be able to produce it under pressure. So those are just some of the things that kind of pop into my head. Um, you know, in two weeks, I'm not going to actually see like the construction of this is why we're using this type of offensive strategy. This is why we're using this type of pattern. Right. But the relentless attention to the details of the fundamentals are what give teams at that level of flexibility to be able to do things based upon the, I would say, superpowers of their athletes right. to maximize their chances of being able to do certain things um, at that level, at that pace, and at that level of, of fitness. So, yeah, I mean, those are some of the things that, of course, when you come back to the States, you're going to have to adjust those because not everybody on your team is going to have that same experience. They're going to have different training ages. They're going to have different strengths and weaknesses, but you can't give up the fundamentals. You have to be relentless about that because those are the things that over the course of an 80-minute match are going to give you a higher probability of landing in the win column versus you, you make all this fantastic momentum and then somebody loses in contact, turnover ball, and all of a sudden you're standing in your own end goal saying, geez, what happened? What happened? <laughs> no, not like I, this ever happened to me before. But right, right, right. You, you, hypothetically, hypothetically, what? Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> no, but no, that's that's really real. Um, yeah, no. It, 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 basically, if you don't have your foundation, if your foundation is strong, the type of bricks that you use is not going to be as significant. Um, but if that weak foundation is weak, doesn't matter what you got, just something going to fall apart, and you can still end up breaking breaking it all down from there. No, I like it. No, that's real. So kind of kind of winding it down a little bit. Um, you know, as you get as we start to find ourselves out of obviously this COVID situation and uh you finding yourself <laughs> We gotta let the people have something to come back to, all right? We gotta wanna bring you back part two. This is what we do, all right? We set the base, we're setting the foundation. <laughs> I'm telling you, when I got asked about playing from Ireland and all of a sudden everything started to button up, I was like, you must be kidding me. <laughs> but you know what it means? So I, I have to assume that now you took all this time to be able to, you're able to watch game. Well, I guess the games that you could watch that were live and new and then able to see some old stuff. And now you're seeing things in a little bit much more of a wider scope. So you're able to take a little bit more mental reps. I'm assuming this is what was happening during this time of not Lots having of as much. Reps. Lots of <laughs> mental reps. Lots of mental reps. It's a John McCain effect, all right? You know, you take enough, and then you're going to win your golf tournament. But Or in this case, you know, whatever rugby that ends up getting played in 2021. So, <laughs> <sighs> but, you know, for you now um, – how much do you feel like you can take this information and not just use it for yourself, but hope to be able to replicate this for other future coaches? Yeah, that is a lot. Um, a lot of what I am sort of hoping to have the brain space to do is, is, I mean, I came back with a treasure trove of stuff. And of course, when you're in an environment where you love what you're working on and you love what you do and you're able to basically just immerse yourself in an environment where you get all your questions answered, then it's a situation where how do you distill all that information in a way mm -hmm. that makes sense and in a way that sort of can get out to the, to, to people who would need it. So that's kind of my delayed project is how am I able to package this in a way that allows me to share the knowledge that I have gained and the fact that I have a group of amazing people that I can lean on to be able to improve how we go about coaching. I haven't kind of cracked that code yet, 
but I'm hoping to, with the various activities being involved, like now with um, the U18 Girls Program, um, doing a lot of video work and analysis um, with that with that crew, which is an awesome crew to work with, um, trying to impart that into the Village Lions by saying, okay, here's something to take a look at. What would you be doing? What would you be thinking about? But uh, you know, I, I do have a lot, a lot that I brought back that I'm very enthusiastic about sharing. And I think for me, it's just plugging into the right communities and the right groups of people where I can share that knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really looking forward to being able to do that. No, I think that's so. I haven't be... figured it out yet, but I do it's have coming. a gigantic SD drive. I've got a whole bunch of notes. I've got stuff that they sent me because one of the things that I found wonderful just about being at Connect is they're about sharing the knowledge and making other folks better. And right. I feel like I would be doing them a disservice if I went over there for two weeks, kept all this stuff in my head. Like my mm -hmm. job is to come back and use that and hopefully make the make the groups that I can work with better because of the knowledge that they were good enough to share with me. No, that's real. That's real. Coma, where can they find you at? They can find me on the Twitter. I'm Gandy Coach. They can find me on the Instagram. I'm Gandy Coach there too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on the Facebook as well at Coma Gandy Fishbein. So all of those are the, the social media, I know that the young people love the social medias, but yeah, that's where I refuse to get on TikTok. I'm not doing that TikTok thing. I'm going to put on my house coat and my slippers and, you know, oh, my rugby grandma, auntie, whatever you want to call it. I'm not getting on TikTok. I'll put my glasses down on my nose like this. I'm not getting on TikTok. Look, all I'm just going to say is, you know, it took, took you some time to get onto the other social medias. I don't don't knock TikTok until the right time. Don't 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 knock it. You say no now, but then watch. You're gonna be. Mm. <laughs> but I'm generation. I'm generation X. You have to like pull me very slowly into the social media. There you so, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one day I'll actually start posting regularly on Instagram. <laughs> I know step you're on the process. That. Step by step process. Exactly. <laughs> At least I'm there. Oh, coma man thank you so much i like i really appreciate this i'm glad that the recording works for both sides this time and yeah. uh there was even more to be able to build on uh from that because uh the future is obviously so wide and um you're, where you're going to take it is is going to be incredible so yeah yeah i start I have to start looking for that property in the west of ireland with nothing <laughs> a couple of goats small un, you know, nondescript castle you know maybe a little drafty i'll bring blankets I feel there's there's plenty of rundown castles to be able to work off of. You know, even if you got to do a little bit of a rebuild job, you know, it might be just at its last three or four bricks. But if it was a castle, it still counts. All right. Okay. Even if I call it a castle, I'm like, whatever it is, they'll be my castle. Look, it's on them to fight you about it. All right. Perception mm -hmm. is reality. Yeah. And it's like, who's this strange American with the goats trying to, to squat in this castle? <laughs> Oh, all right, Coma. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yo, gotta give it up, Coma. Thank you so much for coming through. That was great. I learned something. I hope you guys learned something from it. Uh, you know, and and just just overall, just a look to what we can be able to do moving forward. I hope you guys were able to take some gems out of it. And of course. She's not the only dope guest that we had. We had Amelia uh, Luciano last week. We had... Um, oh, oh, oh. 
We had Gordon Hanlon the week before. We've had so many great guests. Georgie Coda from Rugby and Beauty. Kamani Davis with Roots and Made. We've gotten the great people. Freddie Henry Ajuda of Nigeria Rugby, as well as Life University. Pat Evans with the uh, publication Front Office Sports. Kelly Smith with the American Rugby Pro Training Center. Adam Gray Hayward of the movie Play Now. Rashad Lipford, the founder of North Carolina A&T Rugby. We've got great people like Matt Provost of Prairie View A&M. We got Cheddar Ember, USA Rugby. We got Phil Thiel, USA Rugby. We got Blaine Scully, USA Rugby. Yo, we getting real up here. We got amazing guests. Go check out some of those other episodes if you liked what you saw here. And guys, I appreciate you all for being here. Like I said, love it. Continue to listen on. You guys keep me amped up. And please remember, I hope you stay healthy. I hope you stay happy. And I hope you know that you are highly favored. I will talk to you next week, and you guys have a great one. Cheers.